Welcome to season two of the Shopstool podcast, a podcast for woodworkers and the maker community in general. With Joey Chalk from King Post Timberworks, Brian Cush from Sawdust Bureau, and Robin Lewis from Robin Lewis Makes. Hi everyone, I hope you're all very well. This is episode 36, season two of the Shopstool podcast. As always, I'm going to start by introducing my two co-hosts this week. Joey, how's it going? Very good. Good to be back, Robin. Thanks. <laughs> good to have you back. And Brian, how are you? I'm good, Robin. How are you, man? Not too bad. Not too bad, thanks. My name is Robin Lewis. Welcome to the show, everyone. So tonight, it's just going to be the three of us. We don't have a guest. Um, and we're probably going to get into uh, Joey's staircase. Um, but I just wanted to... Recap before we get into it. Recap um, last week, Joey, uh, mm. with uh, old Arthur. I don't know. Um, I haven't. I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. Oh, oh no, no, not necessarily. Jeez, what kind of host are you? Oh, well, you know, busy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I wasn't even going to go for that. I was just going to say, have, if you've had a chance to have a look at his stuff on Instagram, I, I have the, to a point, but I couldn't quite grasp what was going on. <laughs> do you know how many people? Co- Message me after that yeah. show to say what a cool concept. Like, you know, what a cool idea, you know, what amazing skill. I had a lot of people message me after that one in particular. Sam. Awesome. Sam. Yeah. Obviously resonated with a lot of people, but, yeah, it's very cool. Right. So, yeah, talking about cool stuff. Man, that staircase of yours was average. Yeah, it was pretty average. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was just talking to my wife about, uh, about it yesterday. And I, I was like, I laid down on the beanbag, and the kid's beanbag, and I was like, you know, I must have been really stressed out about those stairs because I'm so relaxed now. Like, <laughs> I've just kind of, just, just dawned on me how um, kind of there's this massive weight off my shoulders about the fact that they it worked and uh, <clears throat> and I've been paid, and it's like, okay, <laughs> so relaxed. Oh, so you got paid all squared <laughs> up. Okay, cool. Yeah, it, that's awesome. They were they took a, they were a bit squiggly about the payment, but I got it out of them, so um, yeah, that was good. And now you've you've picked up some more work for them. As, was it the 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 railing? The banister? yeah, they're meant to be doing the hand railing, which was all meant to be glass, and then they've decided they're going to have it all in the same style, um, and they wanted it all done before Christmas, but I. I haven't heard boo from them. I sent them a sent them a deposit invoice and they haven't paid it and haven't asked any questions about it. So I guess that won't be happening before Christmas. Um, do you want? Should we just do a quick recap of what it was for everyone out there? Yeah, sure. And it, it would probably make a lot more sense to either have a look at my Instagram pictures or the video which I put up, which make a mm. lot more sense. Um, so if you haven't seen it, maybe pause this, go watch it, or take a look at some yeah. pictures. And then you'll understand a bit if we get into technicalities about things. But essentially, essentially, it was a brand new home on a terrible sloping site right in the heart of Auckland. So it's a, th- a three-story house, actually relatively small house, but it has this big central column linking the kind of three levels. And that is um, this kind of... There's two staircases. Each of them turns 90 degrees... Um, and the two staircases overlap each other when looking at it from a kind of bird's eye. And mm. yeah, it was painfully painful. <laughs> so they are curved uh, yeah. with some yeah. 
uh, some was it pl was it laminated plywood? Yeah, laminated birch plywood stringers. Stringers, and then it's got some steel. What do you call those rods on the handrails? Well, the Americans call them spindles. I mm. would still call them a baluster, I think, um, in my language. But uh, yeah, um, yeah. So you've got solid steel, powder coated black, kind of spindles, balusters with the um, solid timber handrails. Um, and the whole lot it was really just a pain in the butt to, to get right. Um, and, and, and there was one particular reason that you got it right. And the comment that I left on the video, which was liked by a number of people, and there were a couple of comments on it as well, was the form that yeah. you used to build it. And you didn't go into it in the video. I mean, it was a long <laughs> video, so I, yeah. I appreciate, you know, we've all got stuff to do with our day. But that form... From from where I was sitting, made the job look infinitesimally easier. Yeah, yeah. I think it came in. I knew it would be um, instrumental in getting the job done. I didn't realize that I would use it and re and rely on it as much as I did. Um, <laughs> towards the end, I mean, it was just covered in markings and different colored pen marks and like it was like oh for this set of stairs we've got to rely on the blue mark and this set of stairs is the red mark and um <clears throat> you know it, it was a bit complex in the end because we had two sets of markings and each and each set of stairs had its original marks which were almost right and then your, your, your marks that were good and then something happened and you had to trim something so all the marks got shifted down six mil and then you know so it just became this hash of um, that's just like an accident. That's a yeah, mistake. Yeah. <laughs> so, in that sense, it was a bit nerve-wracking. And and then, which was interesting as well, the more we had to work on various aspects of the stairs, we would start taking more and more of the mould away to get give ourselves access, and it became flimsier and flimsier, and um, mm. got to the point where it wasn't doing a heck of a lot at the end because we had taken a lot of mm. what needed to be there away just so we could get there to like drill the holes for the spindles and mm, things like that. Yeah. How much time did you spend on that mould? Like uh, were you back and forth from the site to measure it up? Or I, did you I, just... I only do one site measure for measuring total rise and the actual size of the stairwell, which was different from the plans, so that was a bit of a pain in the ass. So we had to work through a few things with the builders. They had kind of cocked up as well a little bit and they've kind of shifted a wall where it shouldn't quite be and so they had to pack out a wall and make it flush with another wall just so everything was in nice, a nice plane. Um, so really it was, I probably spent an hour on site measuring and then we spent a week on the mould, which I thought we would take three days or two days on the mould, but... It was a lot of shitting around <laughs> getting that right. So what what we did, because someone actually commented that, oh, why did you use CNC to make the curves for the mould? That seems a bit much. And I was kind of taken aback. I was like, well, why? Or you could just, you know, you could just strike a curve with a big, you know, string and pencil, essentially. Which you could do. Absolutely, you could do it. But what we chose to do is... Um, well, first of all, the size of the curve is big enough that the bottom and the top of the mould had to be made out of three sheets of ply. Um, and 
it was easier to lay out and make the, the most efficient cuts on the CNC where we could kind of use an offcut from one piece and spin it around and trace a curve on it. So we, we cut the curves, uh, actually we just kind of cut the outline of the curves on, on the, the plywood. We actually then cut little three millimeter deep pockets for each stud. So we didn't have to mm. think about where the studs went. We just put them in and screwed them hard against the wall of the pocket. And then we knew that it wasn't that going to go anywhere. That makes sense because, in, in, and, and I wasn't sure if it was just the video, when you look at that, the, all the studs, mm. they looked perfect. Yeah. And they Absolutely were. Absolutely <laughs> perfect. And yeah. that's why. And yeah. we laid them out in just the right places. Well, we, tr we, we kind of tried to put them in a, an optimal position for where the treads would end up being. So we had clamping, but of course it didn't quite work like that. Um, and we also, on the floor of the mold, we marked with a V groove the front edge of each tread for each set of stairs. So that way we had a, a place to plumb up from, to level up from, the, and we, could, we knew where to measure from. Um, when we're measuring heights, and so it really helped out. I mean, that thing was, um, you know, and if I had to pump out 10 of those, I could with that mold after doing it now. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of, there's a lot of steps involved. It took us, um, I think it took us two weeks, almost three weeks, just to make the four stringers. So, it's just so much work. Did you do the handrails using, um, are they bent laminated solid, did you say? Yeah, it's exactly the same technique, but we, we ripped um, 10 mil thick maple. And I think we only ended up with 2.4 meter lengths. And so we just had a whole lot of butt joints and um, we stapled them, we, butt, we stapled the butt joints together, laying flat on the ground, laid the whole lot out in, the, in a big flat, kind of mass on the ground, glued them up, stood them next to each other a bit like you would on any glue up. Um, and then we had this big long gluey dripping mess that we had to feed into the mold and, and kind of clamp them into position right where the stringer was. So it was all on the same kind of pitch. Mm. Um, and with that, with that sort of compound curve, yeah. did the parts because if you're, if you're bending in one direction, you're going to get, um, I don't know what you would call it, what the term is, but where it sort of overlaps on the two ends. <clears throat> but now because you're curving in two directions, did you have that happening on the sides? Am I, make, am I making sense? Yeah, so I think what you're saying is that it has a tendency to want to twist around, the mo around with the curve rather than, so like especially with a handrail or, or indeed the top of the stringer, you want it to be... Uh, kind of square to the ground in its in its plane, and, and you want four 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 continuous sides essentially, and not and a, not little steps. Yeah, what can happen is they can want to like the, especially the veneers on the stringers can want to slide down at at the, the inside curve and leave the the side against the mold high, and so we actually had little um, little steps up up the mold for the, the, the stringer to sit on. So we kind of had a reference for square at each point. Um, and as long as it was sitting pretty close to flat on that, we were good. But I also bought an extra like 20 clamps. And I think we had enough F clamps to put a clamp 
on each stud the whole way up, each stringer, and it just held it plumb, like it wasn't going to twist, um, and we just forced it into position. That glue up. <laughs> I, I, I could just feel myself cringing with just all that glue. Oh, that just looked like such a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. How, how many how many litres of glue, Joey? Uh, so the glue is, um, uh, what's it called? Weldwood. It's DAP Weldwood plastic resin glue. So it's a formaldehyde-based... It's not an epoxy, it's, it's a water catalyst, and you add something like um, five to one ratio. I can't remember which is which. Um, or five to two, I think it is. So I think for a two kilo bucket of powder, we added about one and a half liters of water, something like that. Um, and I actually don't know how many total liters it made but we ended up using four kilos of powder, I think it was. Four kilos per stringer, which is double the amount of glue I thought we would use. Um, there was a little bit left over, but, I mean, you can't save it. Once you mix it, that stuff's gone. So you don't want to run short, that's for sure. And the first one took us about 55 minutes, which is getting to the point, according to the manufacturer, that we should have had it in the clamps by then. Um, and then the subsequent stringers, we were getting pretty good at gluing up. Um, maybe 25 minutes, I think, for the last one. And when you were gluing the stringers, there was a, a, a butt joint. Yeah. Which you didn't get on the handrails, is that correct? We had them on the handrails. On the handrails, so on the stringers where the butt joint of the plywood was, as we put the glued pieces into the form and kind of push them together at the butt joint, we would use a, and I had a pneumatic staple there and we just stapled as many staples up the joint as we could just to try and stop it pulling apart as it went around the curve and it pulled apart a bit, but the staples helped. Um, and so with the handrail, we did the same thing and kept all the staples towards the inside, but we stapled them before we put them on the curve. So like that's what I was explaining before. We put all the pieces for the handrail on the ground, stapled them together, then glued them up, then bundled them up and wrapped them up with cling wrap and then carried it as a bundle and put it onto the mould. And we, we didn't really have any of the external butt joints move on that. Um, but you don't see the staples on the stringer, though, because thinking back to it, the, the, on the stringer, they were just... Yeah, we, put this, we didn't put staples on the outside piece that you would see. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, so now and on so that they're the ones piece... that, that's the one that moved. The, right, okay. The outside pieces that weren't stapled, they actually did come apart by about three mil, and that's why I ended up just saying, bugger it, I'm gonna route out the gap and put a little inlay of birch in there. Yeah, so that vertical piece, when I saw it on the video, I thought, that's cool, I like it. But that's a, that's a super design choice. It's a design choice, yeah. Was the client okay with that? I felt like... So it's a little bit interesting because the, my client was the construction company. But I had been dealing directly with the client through them for, like, what do you actually want this to look like? But in the, at the end of the day, they were very reasonable and kind of said, we just want the curved steer 
you do it the best you know. They said, you're the artist. You do it. And mm. so I was like, okay, I feel like... Right I, answer. Yeah, I feel like I've got <laughs> creative license just to get the job done. It's got to look pretty much like the picture they, they saw in some magazine somewhere. Um, and let's just make it happen. So I, I pretty much made, apart from the color of the steel, everything was just pretty much my idea. It, it's an amazing achievement. Like it is, I would not have a clue where to start on it. I think I would just end up staring at it in my workshop for about two weeks. <laughs> well, you know, scratching my head. There's so much. You bring you bring up such a good point in that. When I think it was in March. I think it was before our first our lockdown. I, I, well, no, that was in yeah March. So it must have been in February. I think they first got a hold of me and said. Would, could you do this? Um, and I talked to my father-in-law and um, Nick who works with me and my dad and kind of said, could we actually make this? Should I even bother? Should I bother trying to price this up? And then we kind of said, well, how would you do it? And then we had this brainstorm, like, well, you make a mold and we're just, oh, yeah, we're just being the plywood around the mold. That's easy. Okay, we know how to do that. And then, oh, well, how would you attach the spindles? Oh, well... I don't know, engineer will have to do something, but we'll you know, put, drill some holes, I'm sure we could do that. And then, oh, how do you attach it to the floor? Uh, well, I don't know, engineer will figure that out. Um, <laughs> and then it was like, well, how much is that gonna cost? I was like, oh shit, who knows? Um, and so I just kind of said, yeah, I, I think we could do it. Here's my initial drawing, here's my initial costing. And they were like, kind of fell off the chair where they saw the price, but then they came back to me and said, okay, what do we need to do to move forward? And I was like, all right, well, give me some time to think about it. <laughs> and then pretty much... <laughs> Just let me adjust my fee. And then, well, and then that's, we'll I mean, that kept happening. I was like, I mean, the, the yeah. fee only went up because every time I looked at it, I was like, I think that's going to take longer. I think that's, we're going to actually have to do this now. Like, how are we going to do that part? Um, and so there was a shitload of time and what I was going to say earlier is that because of the delays with the two lockdowns we had and then the construction company themselves slowing things down a bit, slowing things down a bit at the end, um, it gave us a lot of time to actually sit and reflect and we'd just be standing looking at the mould going, what's going to happen when we get to site and this happens? And we'd yeah, go, thinking, trying to do five steps ahead. Yeah, yeah. and we'd go, ah. Oh. We better change something. Oh shit! How how thick is the flooring they're gonna put down? Oh, right. Well, we better like, can we allow to put you know, this here? And should we put a packer here, or should we just you know? And then it would just be this constant flow of like, I'd wake up in the middle of the night going, how are we gonna attach? The, you're not gonna be able to get a drill into this position if we do this first. So we have to do this part first, and then we'll screw that part on because we can't actually physically get a drill in underneath the staircase or whatever. And, and so by the time we got to, like, I had it so planned in my head um, that by the time we were on site, it was like kind of this military operation where I was like, right, put the string up, work out where the steel goes, put the steel on. Now this is going to happen. Now we've got to do this. The screws have got to be half tightened before we do this. And then we've got to fully tighten the screws after we measure this measurement. And then this happens. And then, um, yeah, it just went on and on. And uh, 
So I think without all that time or, and multiple people just thinking about it for the better part of six months, um, I don't think it would have happened. <laughs> yeah. With the rail, uh, the handrail, you said that the newel posts weren't structural. No. What was, what's stopping the handrails from just wobbling everywhere? <laughs> so I had a pretty long discussion with the engineer because so anyone who's familiar with, well, probably our safety regulations are pretty, probably pretty similar to Australia with handrails and that you've, they're, they're pretty limiting of what you can do aesthetically because of how many posts are required to keep someone from tripping over and falling through a balustrade and falling off a, <clears throat> whatever, off a deck. That's the whole idea of these giant posts with these massive bolts in them, um, is to keep someone from like losing, like maybe someone faints and they fall into a handrail. You don't want the whole lot to collapse under them as they fall. Um, so what would be awful, I think, is if we had carried on with the current or the most the, the acceptable solution at the moment in New Zealand is to every meter or every 1500 mil, you'd have to put a post along that stringer to stop the handrail to make it strong enough according to like whatever. And, the, and what's a post? What's, uh, what's a post would have post? to be like minimum of 70 by 70 or something like that. And then lagged into the And then step. it would have to be probably bolted to the outside of the stringer. Okay. And it would look like some crappy kind of commercial outdoor thing. Um, and I, I said to the engineer, I, I don't want to put posts. And, and the outside curve, the outside handrail is about 5.4 metres. And that's a massive stretch to not have a supporting post. Um, but I said to him, look, as far as I can tell... You, if we have the curve itself is doing a lot of the work, um, if that curve is just in a on a two dimensional flat, that's going to be strong as hell. If it's if you've got balusters and say each spindle is drilled down into the stringer by fifty mil and epoxied in, and he did the calculations, he said on one of those solid sixteen mil spindles, you've got about a nineteen millimeter deflection. And he said, that's quite a lot, but not when you've got 60 of them 100 mil apart and they all, on the curve, they almost don't move at all. Like, Sorry, 19 mil deflection as in... 19 like... millimetres. So if you push, if someone were to lean on the top of a single um, spindle, it would deflect mm. out 19 millimetres according to his... Um, Couch. Before stopping or before breaking? Um, that would. Well, I'm not sure exactly what loading would. That would be someone leaning yeah. on it. I, I, I guess. Okay, so a particular scenario. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so he did the calcs and said, well, you know, with all those put together at 100 mil spacings, um, and then if we bolt down the the handrail to the top of those and create kind of one unit. Um, I, he said that that meets the meets the requirements, and so any posts you add can be aesthetic, and I don't have to worry too much about how they're attached because typically, otherwise the newel posts would have to be attached to the the floor joists through the floor, and it becomes a real problem of 
um, exactly what am I attaching to and is, I would have had to do a lot more work planning exactly where the, the post had to be and making sure there was timber under the flooring for that. What does that connection look like generally? The reason I ask is my steps out the back, my, and I'm 99% sure it's not to code, but the stairs, the, the posts, so I've got steel, just cheap steel railings. They are attached, lag bolt, or lag screwed into this, the stair mm. treads. Right. Um, but that's it. So would you, would that post just need, would it need to go down into the subfloor and then yeah. be bolted? Bolted in? through okay, the side right. of a joist. So you typically yeah, so you would it's a lot more. put like a, a, some kind of packer, nog, piece of joist material where it needs to be fixed in place properly. And then you would bolt to the side of that floor joist. And that means, because the thing, what, what happens with newel posts, um, people generally run down the stairs and swing around them swing off it around the corner and that's what you need to try and stop happening um, and I was actually really pleased with the sol solution I came up with to attach the post at the bottom of the stairs where I had like essentially a really large kind of tongue and groove or mortise and tenon and then so that kind of tenon was stopping any deflection laterally so if someone did swing around the end of the stairs they couldn't actually pull the they couldn't pull the post over with them, and the lag bolts stopped it coming off the other way. I did, I did look at that and think, wow, he's put so much effort and engineering into this nil post that's doing nothing. <laughs> and I couldn't understand why you didn't just dowel it in or something, yeah. or screw and, and plug. Well, I yeah. could have. I mean, in hindsight, I probably could have just left that plumb cut without the tenon on it and put some giant big, like you say, dowels through. Probably would have done a similar job. But I had the material there, and why not? make a, an integral kind of tenon um, while I could. Uh, and it, it was actually, it was a pain in the ass to do it actually, so. <laughs> yeah. That is the difference between a furniture maker making these stairs yeah. and a joiner making the stairs. And a yeah. builder, yeah. I wonder, I would, be, I would love to see someone else's take on it. And to 100% they would dial it. <laughs> yeah, mm. probably. It's just the consideration to detail on it is, I just love it. Mm. Yeah, I think work. like things like um, the massive steel plate that went at the top of the stairs. That originally he, the engineer had said or had drawn it so those big flanges that kind of hang down into the stringer, they were meant to be on the outside and where he said, oh, you just put your stringer up next to them and screw through and you're you connected. And I was like, yeah, nice and easy. But then you see this giant big steel plate. It looks <laughs> it looks terrible. I said, and and because of the fact that this one of the stringers was going to be so close to a wall, we could never get a drill in there to screw the screw it off. I said, can't we put can we put the flanges on the inside? And he thought about it and he came back and said, yeah, that should be fine. Um, and then I said, well, can we bury them into the stringer by like just under the surface? Um, because he had specified certain length screws. And he said, yeah, I think it will work. And we managed to just make that work. Um, so I was really glad with that. Like it was a whole lot of extra work to bury that flange inside the stringer and then put like that two mil piece of ply on top of it, which actually I don't think I got a close up of. 
And then once that was on, we then had to drill because there was a one of the treads, one of the steps was right at that level where the those steel flanges were. And we then had to like drill through this eight mil steel plate to like drill in the other cross steels to take the tread. And that that was just a whole crazy carry on. <laughs> in the, the video when you guys are installing that top tread. Yeah. You made like a, a joke about, oh, I can't remember what it was, but it was about the fact that it, you'd got it in first time or something. Yeah. Do, you, do you remember? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't understand. I didn't understand what you were talking about. Well, but just about sliding that piece of steel in. I mean, there was so many things that could have made that not just slide into place. Um, and for one, just drilling those holes the way I was, eyeballing square, and then having all four of them um, actually work. Um, and that was one of the other things the engineer had said, those big bolts that were sticking out the back of that big piece of steel, they were just meant to be bolts. Like we were just going to hold the steel up and just put a drill through and put a, just put a bolt in, but there would be a bolt head sticking out on the steer side. And I said, what, what are we going to do with this bolt head that's sticking out right where we, we just want to have a nice piece of birch plywood there? And he was like, mm. <laughs> So I just said, well, can we can we plug weld in some threaded rod and and just have them sticking out? Um, he said, yeah, sure, that's fine. It's just be a pain in the ass to install. Um, well, it was a bit. We made a template, a drilling template, but both of them just popped straight on, first pop. So um, that was pretty cool. Yeah, I, I had so many more questions and I wish I'd written them down. <laughs> what, I, what I tend to do when I watch a video is... I'll be watching someone's video and then something will come up and I'll immediately go to the comments to t and then I can say, no, they may just, they may explain it later. Just hold off. <laughs> yeah. And so I did that the whole video and then by the end of it, I was like, oh, that's amazing. Walked away and thought, yeah, I should have, haven't made a single note of what, of what I wanted to. What I was, there were a lot of other questions. What I was most annoyed about <clears throat> was that we spent a heck of a lot of time fitting each of the treads because we had the stringers in what we thought was the right position. So there's a weird thing that happens with um, something that, I, I mean, you really can only learn by doing it. When you have a curve like that, especially such a large curve, it doesn't, like we kept trying to fight it sagging. We thought that what was happening is that the large, especially the outside stringer kept wanting to sag. And we're kind of a little bit, um, worried because we're like, if this thing can't even hold itself up, then it, it's oh, good. Are you saying it, it was sagging? We, we thought it was sagging. What happens is actually in the whole, what, what makes curved steers difficult is that they, they want to roll over. They're always wanting to roll towards the outside of the curve. And so what's happening is that the stringer, especially the outside one, the inside one was vertical enough that it was pretty well strong. The inside one had such a massive curve that it just constantly wanted to fall over. And even when bolted in, it kept wanting to tilt. And it proved to be a pain in the ass because it actually ended up, once we had it screwed in and we took our props out and then it drops. And it's like, what the crap is going on? Oh, as much as, as, much it, as that. It's still dropping enough that we can see it on the level. I'm like, ah, this is, what's going on? And it took us a lot of just problem solving and kind of to, I won't say fudging, but um, just 
trimming things and making things, packing things, just to account for the amount that it is, had wanted to roll. Um, so that was a pain in the butt. Uh, and because of the rolling, it changed the shape of the steer tread by just enough that each one needed to be refitted again um, because the curve changes. As if you take something that's curved and just twist it slightly, the curve becomes a different curve at the point of where the steer meets that curve. <laughs> and it's all stuff that is so hard to explain that when you've got it sitting in front of you, you go, oh yeah, of course that's why that's not fitting. Um, so that was a pain. I had to do, I had to reach on site, I had to refit all 30 treads. So when you put the, the, what did we call those? The post? The spindles. Oh yeah, spindles. Was that 50 mil enough to, to keep the, the, the um, tread from? That, so the lower set was perfect and I, I'm not sure what the difference was. The top set really wanted to roll over more and we kind of had to fudge those holes, a couple of those holes a little bit to make it plumb. Um, just had to kind of bore them out a bit with the, the drill bit just to bring it over to plumb and fill it with epoxy and let it let it sit how it wanted to sit. So yeah, it was... Um, you've, you've successfully convinced me never to make a set of spiral stairs. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would not recommend it. <laughs> that was going to be one of my questions. Would you ever do it again after this now? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I would definitely hesitate. I would almost want to double the cost if I did that again. I still made money out of it, but only because I was able to run simultaneous, simultaneous jobs in the workshop. I think if you were somebody planning just to go A to B, you wouldn't make money out of that job. In fact, you'd probably lose money. Um, well, for the price I quoted, which was substantial, some people guessed in the comments and they were way off. I have this memory of <laughs> this job coming in in the beginning of the year. Yeah. Except it was with concrete. Uh, no, my dad had made a spiral set of concrete stairs. Ah, oh, okay, right, yeah. I was actually meant to put a picture of it in the video, but I uh, just never got around to it. Um, right, okay. But yeah, so his experience was making a similar set, much tighter curve, but out of solid concrete. So it was just, I think he spent a month making the form and putting the steel in. And then they poured and they had to wait another month before they could take the um, form work off. And I think that those stairs, uh, I won't say that. I was going to talk about the cost. <laughs> but, <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, well, cool. That, um, yeah, it was amazing. Um, it was cool seeing the video after hearing so much about it to be able to put it into like perspective. And yes. um, talking about the video, can we talk about the video? Did it do well? Um, as far as I can tell, yeah, like it's my number one performing video since like I stopped getting good uh, performing videos. <laughs> okay, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So, like, I'm not sure, you know, something happened and it, it gets more views. Um, YouTube does these weird things. Like, y you would know that when you upload a video these days, it, it says, have, have you got any violence or controversial stuff in it? And you just tick no, no, no. And the more you do that and you're accurate, 
YouTube promotes your videos better or more, or so they say. And so I feel like that's started to happen, but I don't know. I think it was just a good thumbnail as well. Yeah. There was a video that Matthias Wandel put out recently on his second channel. Him and Steve Ramsey did a podcast. And it was quite interesting to listen to him talk about YouTube and how it's changed. And um, it was just, it's just, you know, as create, and it's, it, it would be interesting to hear your take on this, Brian, <clears throat> because you aren't so much of a creator, you're more of a consumer. But how, as creators, we get very entrenched in a, this is, this is how you make a video. And this is how I've always made a video. This is how I was making a video five years ago. And that's what you do, because it worked five years ago. Mm. And listening to them talk about how it's changed and how I feel, Joey, like, Guys like you and I, we haven't we haven't changed with it. No. We've been doing the same thing, yep. wondering why it's not working, whereas <laughs> there's guys out there who are putting, I don't know, building stuff on telephone poles with, you know, electronics, you know, just bizarre things. And that's yep. what's working on, on YouTube at the moment. And that's why we're dinosaurs now. That's why oh, yeah. we've stopped getting those, those views. I do not care at all anymore. I, I so, like... My, the whole point of woodworking videos should be to show um, reasonably good wood, wood, woodworking techniques um, if that's the aim. If the aim is to just provide entertainment, then I don't really you know, go for your life, do whatever you like. But I feel like there's a bad mix at the moment of entertain woodwork, which is, um, eh, take it or leave it. Yeah, you've got to... You've got to have that wow. And that's where the, the older guys who have done well, I think, are, are holding on tightly because if they are winning, you know, guys like Neil, they, they're doing very well, mm. but they will get taken over by that flash stuff if they don't keep their game up. Yeah, I feel like it's definitely possible. It's interesting, actually, when you mentioned Neil um, from Past Makes, um, his videos are in that same style of like dinosaur videos where they're just just good old fashioned making videos and it's great that they're still getting the views um, for whatever reason YouTube is blessing him with uh, views so great um, I uh, yeah it'd be interesting to see how that goes because I think actually I'm not sure because now that he's part of the makers mob and there's the whole make this makers mob thing. I'm not sure. I haven't seen much of the other people in the makers mob. Yeah, well, it's uh, John. He's yeah doing, um, yeah, what we we would class as traditional videos. Jimmy DeResta, mm. who's I don't think Jimmy's ever strayed from not much. slamming metal on the floor and, and <laughs> that's his thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, do you want my two cents on that? Oh, yeah, sure. yeah, actually, yeah. Like okay, said, before we move okay, on. Okay, yeah. so uh, from a non-creator or a, a one-video-a-year type of creator, I think it's nice to inject a bit of personality into videos, like especially in terms of building a rapport with people. Otherwise, it might be one amazing piece of furniture, and the next piece of furniture might not quite live up to it, but they're watching it because of who you are and how they view your whole process of making and your style of making and stuff. And for me personally, like what you're describing as the new kind of flashy, it, uh, it that doesn't resonate with me. And it might be because I'm, I don't know, 
maybe I am getting towards dinosaur, but I love a six axis CNC as much as anyone. But the the videos that I like watching would be um I I do actually I'm not blowing smoke up your hole or anything, Joey, but I do enjoy watching your videos because they're really quite complex ideas, but they're explained in the right level of terminology that would appeal to a DIYer as it put and a uh, professional makers i think they straddle that boundary which is a really hard thing to do mm. um and videos like is it ishitani mm. the japanese yeah. guy like no voiceover yeah. it's kind of a how-to video it's kind of an artsy video but i can just sit and watch his videos all day long i absolutely love them i find them very relaxing um, and then if you go into the more moderns, like um, Padula, the guys in Sydney, mm. their style of videos, like those are the types of videos that I love to watch. And yeah, maybe they're not going to get a huge advertiser on board, but that's, that's what I'll continue to yeah. watch personally. Yeah. It's funny you talk about, um, Brian, you talk about Joey's videos. So um, Joey and I first connected after I watched him building his house. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed it because it was such a big project and it was, you know, sort of watching that come to fruition. But I was drawn to Joey's videos because of the project, not necessarily because of him as the personality. There was always voiceover, but I never saw him. Mm. And we've talked about this before. So Joey was a persona in my mind of whatever I wanted it to be. (laughs) And that's always like with the voiceover, that's always a thing that can be a good and a bad thing. You make up the, the person's personality. The flip side of that is <clears throat> if you inject personality into it and you're not a personable person, yeah. it's not your fault. It's just yeah. you're, not, you're, not, you're, not a, you're not for TV, you're for radio. Um, you, then you kind of, you've stuffed yourself. So it, it's, yeah. the personality one is a real, real tricky one. Yeah, Robin, just cut uh, Joey's audio for one second. Did, did his personality in your head match his personality in real life? After- <laughs> <laughs> <Did> it- <laughs> Yeah, we, we met in the middle. Yeah. Okay, that's good. But that's it, good. but it's 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 such a funny thing because like you know we've talked about Colin Furs, right? Mm-hmm. Colin Furs is a is a, a he looks like a nice guy. Yeah. I'd love yep. to have a beer with him. And there's other creators out there who I wouldn't want to have a beer with, mm-hmm. but their work yeah. is so good. Yeah. That's what I'm attracted to. So the personality one is an interest. It's a really really interesting topic. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, we might, you actually even just all this talk about. It brings back, I, I think we talked about it a long time ago, like what was the point, why did I start making videos? And I'm not sure exactly what I said, but um, I still, I, I don't really actually know when I think about like what is the point, like why why make the video about the stairs? Because no one's going to do it. You don't think the it. point is, you know, it's something for you to look back on? I, I think maybe that's... years time and go, holy shit, do you remember the six-month period where... Yeah. I, I think maybe that is more... It's more for me than anything, to be honest. Yeah. Or I can show my kids and say, this is back when yeah. I knew what I was doing, and I'm, I'm an old fart now. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, actually, sometimes it's, it, maybe it's completely selfish. Maybe it's all just selfish because I, sometimes I will go, someone will ask me to make something, and I'll say, I have no idea how I even made that thing. And I can just go back and go, oh, I did it this way. Well, that, I'll probably do yeah. it differently now, but at least I know what I did. Um, so I could probably copy that again. So that's and I have a step by step for myself. <laughs> <laughs> or 
the the shell it doesn't even have to be that far back i put that closet up a month ago and then i put the shelves in you know two weeks after that and went shit where's the studs yeah all right let me quickly go back and find out where i can screw into there was a two-week gap yeah Yeah. because it is it's super helpful for that super helpful that's interesting uh um completely changing topics uh robin uh brian was it not your birthday it was my birthday, yes. Yep. Happy birthday. When was Thank that? Uh, last week? No, nah, week before. Yep. Week before. Uh, has, it, has it been that long since we did, a, <laughs> did a, an well, episode? It, sure. It's been longer than that since we last chatted to Joey, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah um, right, yeah. I yeah. see yeah. that you got a new jumper. I do have a new jumper, yeah. Yeah, my, uh, my mum and dad surprised me with an early 40th birthday present. I did get a lot of messages saying happy 40th, and I'm like, oh, no, just give me one more year. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was... So we were going up to Tauranga, which is on the sort of the Bay of Plenty, for anybody who knows New Zealand, and um, there's a woodworking studio there that my parents bought one of this woodcarver's pieces years ago, and I've always admired it. And uh, we stopped for lunch, and they said, oh, right, we'll keep going to our apartment in, down by the beach. Oh, hang on, but actually, that woodcarver's just up the road. So it was literally, like, five doors up. <laughs> I would just stop in and say hello, and we, we called in, and he's like, oh, how's it going? And he just sort of waved and then disappeared back into his workshop. It was Kevin did you have McCall. any idea at this point? Did, Absolutely you... none. Right. Absolutely none. And, uh, yeah, he just seemed like, you know, like the rest of us, just a grumpy old furniture maker being pestered by people. <laughs> so he just sort of disappeared into the back and then uh, mum said yeah have a look through have a wander through the pieces and uh, so he, he hand carves from mainly from swamp timbers like old cowrie and, and rimu and things like that and jackets everyday items and then I turned the corner and there was a t-shirt hanging and I, yeah probably best going to my Instagram to really yeah. um, have a proper look at it but I sort of walked past it and then glimpsed back at it and my logo was engraved on it. I'm like, what the <laughs> hell? And my mum just said, happy birthday. So uh. <laughs> it, was, it was very, very nice. It was really cool to talk to him about his processes as well. And um, did, I was, like, so right, I was you, I'm, I'm glad you got to talk to him about it because I wanted to know, mm. did he have one of, your, one of your shirts or a picture of your shirt? To, yeah. Because the so folds look like they're fun. meant to be right. right it looks, if, if you see it in person, it's actually right in front of me now. If you if you look at it in person, you would swear it has been cast off a T-shirt. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, um, but uh, yeah, he. Uh, oh, sorry, my mum contacted my wife and she stole one of my T-shirts <laughs> and posted it over. And this all started about three years ago, apparently. Oh wow! And, I was going uh, to say, what's yeah. the timeline on one of these things? Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. So fair play to them. They, um, it was a brilliant surprise, and yeah, very cool to hear about his process. So, no, um, no turbo planning whatsoever. It's just all hogged out using chisels. Wow. Sanded, and then to add texture, he uses wire brushes, nails. So, the, it's quite hard to see in the photos, but the, it actually has a t-shirt texture to it. Yeah, right. That he achieves by yeah dragging nails, the end of a um, of a file. It's just mm. it's uh, yeah, it's just yeah. incredible. I, I mean, definitely speechless. go and see uh, Brian's Instagram. 
because yeah. all the stitching is un- unbelievable. Um, and I was asking him, you know, because he's got some, he's carved a big massive uh, humpback whale as well. And I was saying, you know, what is the stability of this? Because it is just out yeah. of slabs. I'm like, how yeah. do how do things react to? Um, yeah. Um, so what he does is he carves out the back and then will like cross score the back to try to relieve the tension. Right. Um, and then co- continue to carve it with that back relief. So yeah, it's, it's yeah, he's, he's an incredible guy. Um, does some really, really awesome work. So yeah, that's gonna come back awesome. to Australia with me and live on my wall forever. That's awesome. Um, and yeah, cool to see his workshop. Like I do love going to see, whenever I go on holiday, I'll, I'll drag my wife around somebody's workshop and for a look. Uh, so yeah, it was cool to see his. And then I was fortunate enough as well through a friend of a friend to get a tour of the um, architecture and design um, faculty at Victoria University of Melbourne, of Melbourne, Victoria University of Wellington and get into their labs. And Jesus, God almighty, compared to, <laughs> compared to what was in my, uh, my um, workshop at, at uh, architecture school these are on another level the 3d printers and like a epoxy 3d printers again i don't know if you saw it on my instagram but they do they do work for weta studios oh, okay printing eyeballs like 3d <laughs> eyeballs with like blood vessels in them and you look at it and you're like wow that looks as though the vessels are 3d and then hamish the guy that toured me yeah. is like yeah they, they are 3d <laughs> jesus uh so that was cool and saw their big um, multi-million dollar six-axis CNC robot that um, can make things I think the, it was about three metres by three metres by three metres is sort what? of the yeah huge so an entire Jeez. room and uh, the interchange so they could either have a router as the as the cutter head on it and yeah. they could put a nail gun on it <laughs> I think they do some work with like kind of prefabricated architecture and That's just trying to get a robot to build things so it's just this robot with a nail gun just firing That nails. sounds like something out of a Terminator movie oh, when totally. Skynet takes over. <laughs> totally. Um, track saws. They can give it a track saw. <laughs> so, so oh, yeah, man. it was pretty pretty nuts. And then they have a small training robot that's, I don't know, a meter by a meter, <laughs> and you can do the same thing. Uh, um, they can they can put a they can put a print head on it as well, and <laughs> like sort of 3D print so it's a resin that solidifies as yeah. you print yeah I don't know you've probably seen it come up on Facebook ads years ago they were trying to sell these 3D pens you know you would kind of draw uh, yeah. an Eiffel Tower yeah. or something with but these would print full structures it was so the technician for his um, I think it was his master's project he designed a chair that the software design so he gave it its footprint you know the the spacings of the legs inputted his weight and then got um is it grasshopper grasshopper and rhino two different softwares yeah to calculate all the loads so yeah. it calculates these arches and member sizes and then you just send it to the robot to print i can't remember exactly how long it took it was definitely in the days i think it was maybe four or five days and this robot just goes around and prints um with a resin this chair yeah and as long as you're not heavier than him you're sweet 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Otherwise, you're screwed. <laughs> yeah. But um, but yeah, it was really cool to see. That's yeah. awesome. So totally different. So then going from from that where it was I don't know probably about mm, thousand square meter workshop, loads of different rooms, paint rooms, woodworking rooms, to then Kevin McCardle's studio and his machinery is basically a bandsaw. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Yeah. Everything else is all hand tools. Hand tools. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. What about you? What What about you, uh, Robin? What have you been up to? Uh, I just finished the. I put some shelves into the closet, so I built a closet, which was great. And then I actually put some sh- shelves into it to um, uh, make it useful, which has been exciting. Just a little interesting part of your know, design with that with the shelves. The the closet's got two sliding doors. Mm-hmm. And I did not enjoy the process of putting those doors up. So I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to build these, these shelves in parts and put them in, in in pieces. Everyone on the video that I put, the, you know, after I put up, why didn't you just take the doors off? <laughs> and I think in hindsight, I probably would next time because I went to so much <laughs> effort to make these units that come together and screw in and stuff. Yeah. I should have just taken the doors off. Because in my, my head, I was like, if I'm going to put shelves in this closet, those those top-hung doors need to swing in. Right. So how am I going to... You've got to, like, remove the track and then remove the floor guide. And, and I just thought, I'll just work the shelves around the doors. But, yeah, that was probably not the best idea. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, other than that, uh, not too much. I'm working on a, on a box for... And this is, this is quite exciting. I can't go into too much detail at this point. But there's a big Australian tool seller that has approached me to do some work for them wow, to cool. make some some videos, which I'm super excited about. Um, we've locked away two videos so far, oh, nice. um, and I'm working on one of them now, which is just to make a simple box, but essentially um, showcasing certain things. So that's what I'm working on at the minute, and then I've got a. Um, a kitchen island, well not a kitchen island, like a like a mobile island uh, project for a client. And that's the one that I spoke to you guys not too long ago yeah. about. Going to be made out of mm-hmm. Tazzy oak, which is cool. Sweet. Stoked. The the client decided not to go with pine. They're going with Tazzy oak. Yeah. And the top is made of something called Evo stone. Okay. Ryan, you yep. may have heard of it. I think it's an Aussie. Yep. And actually, this is a good time to to bring this up. I might get your opinion on this. It's a twenty mil piece of stone. And I'm worried about, I think we sort of touched on this in the, in the messages, I'm worried about it sagging. Do those pieces of stone have much flex in them? Or shouldn't I be too worried about it? Because basically the, 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 the island is a 1.2 meter long span and about 600 wide, yeah. which according to the specs of the stone is right on the limit. Really? Yeah. Oh no, but Sig- like it's even supported on four four sides. Yeah, yeah. Has it got an apron? I mean. Has it got an apron connecting the legs or not? Yeah, it does. Um, which yeah. I was going to make ninety. I'd love to make it uh, thinner, but I'm thinking I'm going to do ninety mil just to make sure that it's got no flex along that one point two meter. Length. Um, in my experience, oh, I reckon you could go less than ninety. Yeah, you reckon. I, I would say 90 for the tenon size, so you can have a really nice, beefy tenon yep. because there's no other the structure racking. to that. 
this island, which essentially just, ha just has four corners. Um, but, but sorry, bearing in mind though that there's the top, there's a middle shelf, a bottom shelf, and I can put corner bracing underneath the top. Yeah. But yeah, I, you could probably do 75 mil easily for that top rail. Mm -hmm. um, I like in my experience with man-made stone or any stone, there's no flex. Like if it flexes, it's cracked. It's just it's flat or it's broken. <laughs> Even no, that's my, my point. Is, like an, is it is it an acrylicy hybridy stuff? It is some form of form of resin. My my concern is someone's going to sit in the middle, and that stone's going to have no support on it, because that's those rails or aprons are just not strong enough, and it's just going to deflect. Oh, no, I don't think uh, that. No, 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 not a problem. No, I think that'd be fine. I would just put a decent bead of silicon on the top before you squish down the stone and it will sit in that rubber and find its own level because your timber won't be mm. dead in plane uh, and that silicon will fill any voids to make everything in plane and then the, the stone just drops on and that's it. Because 20 mil just seems so thin. Tw 20 mil of stone or especially resin like essentially it's like some kind of polycarbonate with stone chips in it. It'll be, okay. it'll be heavy. Yeah, yeah they, they, they talk about the, the, um, the square, I think it's square centimetre, square centimetre load. Right. Um, but yeah, everything's fine. It's just I was quite shocked by that, by that span. Just put an extra rail in, in the middle, at the, in, the, in the middle of yeah. the 1200 span, just put an extra yep. rail across and then it only is six by six, which is well underneath its limits. So. Yeah. But yeah, that's pretty much, it's, it's actually quite nice to have a bit of a, a, um, some quoted work yeah. because I go on holiday in two weeks. Sweet. Um, I've got a couple of weeks off and then I'm expecting my second Baby time. kid. Yeah, I, on the 6th of Jan. Right. So, I'm, so in a couple of weeks I go on holiday and that's pretty much me for a month. So hopefully some of it I'll be able to put into this woodworking. Which actually brings up we something we didn't talk about before the podcast, but I think, was this going to be our last one for the season? No, no. Let's do one more. Okay. And, yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll do one more. We'll talk Sweet. about that. Yeah. Forget that, everyone. Don't, don't listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> I might leave that in. I was thinking I'll take it out, but I think we might leave it in. This is what we talk about, everyone. This is how, this is how plan and organise the shows. Yeah. <laughs> cool. All right, I reckon we should... Leave it there. Yeah. Cool. All right. So, to everyone listening, I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please go ahead and give it a rating on iTunes. That really does help us out. Shop Store Podcast is available on iTunes and most other podcast apps. My name is Robin Lewis. Joe and Brian, thanks for hanging out. Take care, everyone, and we'll see you in the next one. See ya. See you, guys.